Hi, this is Jimmy Evans with Marriage Today. This podcast is dedicated to equipping families with the teaching and tools they need to succeed. We hope you enjoy this episode and subscribe for more marriage building content. This is a story from the from the Bible. This is Jesus and his disciples. Now, this is after the resurrection, the story we're going to read. This is the third time that Jesus is appearing to his disciples. And one of the things that we're going to see in this story is he's, he's restoring Peter. Now, Peter denounced Christ. He, he you know, denied him. Uh, and remember, he, Jesus said, you'll deny me three times before the cock crows. And so he did. And so now he's restoring Peter in this scene. But you're going to see some very unhealthy comparison going on here. John 21, this is verse 15. So when they had eaten breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him again a second time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of Jonah, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. This he spoke, signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. Then Peter, turning around, saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following, who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, uh, who is one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, said to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Then this saying went about among the brethren that this disciple would not die. Yet Jesus did not say that he would not die, but if I will that he remain till I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. And so Jesus is trying to settle accounts with Peter, and he's doing it publicly because he wants all the disciples to see now that everything's gonna be okay with Peter. And there's a word game going on here that we don't pick up on in the English. Jesus looks at Peter and says to him, do you agape me? Do you love me? Agape love does not require emotion. It's the, it's the deepest type of love. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter what the circumstances are. I'm making a commitment to you and I love you no matter what. And Jesus looks at Peter and said, do you love me? And Peter said, I phileo you. That means friendship. That means fond affection. I, I have warm feelings for you, Jesus. The second time, Jesus said, do you agape me, Peter? And Peter said, I phileo you. I have affection for you, Jesus. The third time, Jesus comes down to Peter's level. Aren't you glad that God comes down to our level? He said, okay, then do you phileo me? And Peter said, you know all things, Lord. You know that I phileo you. And he said, tend my lambs. And the point is, all ministry flows out of love. Everything that we do for God is not because we have to, it's because we get to. Everything that we do for God is because we just simply love him. All pure ministry, all pure service flows out of love, and Jesus wants that to be the foundation. And by the way, when Jesus said, Peter, do you love me more than these? We don't know what that means. It could be, do you love me more than these men love me? Or, do you love me more than you love your friends, these men? Or, do you love me more than these fish? It could mean any of them. The point is, you have to love God first. That's what Jesus is saying. I want you to love me more than anyone else, 
And out of that love, I want you to serve me and I want you to take care of my sheep. Now, the thing that happens here in this exchange is Jesus tells Peter how he's gonna die. And this is kind of, this is a little bit of a shocker. He said, you know, Peter, when you were younger, you went where you wanted to go. But when you get older, someone's gonna take you and they're gonna lead you where you don't wanna go. And he said this to signify what kind of death that Peter would glorify God. There's a book called The Fisherman's Tomb and they say that they have found Peter's bones. And Peter's bones were the bones of a 65-year-old robust man who had been brutally murdered. The church legend tells us that he was crucified upside down. They were gonna crucify him and he said, I don't wanna be crucified like my Lord, I'm not worthy. So they crucified him upside down. So Jesus is telling him here how he's gonna die. And you say, well, why would, why would the Lord do that? Well, it was the threat of martyrdom that he caused him to deny Jesus in the first place. And so Jesus is telling him right up front, now, you know, you, you were a coward before. When the little girl and the people at the campfire asked if you belong to me and you denied me, he's saying to him here, you're gonna have to count the cost. I wanna know right up front, are you willing to die? Because this is the way you're gonna die. And I, I think another reason that Jesus did it was to provoke this response. Here's what happens, here's what happens. Jesus says to him, you're gonna die a bad death. Someone's gonna do to you what you don't want done. And immediately, and, and this is John now, remember this is John's gospel, immediately Peter turned to John and pointed at him and said, tell me how he's gonna die. Now you know that he's not wanting to hear, oh, John's gonna live a long time, he's gonna hit the lottery and he's gonna die someday, an old man, happy man, happy man. That's, that's not what he's wanting to hear. He's wanting to hear, John's gonna die a worse death Peter is so bad, I don't even want to talk about it. Yes. Yeah. That's the way we are. We, you know, we're happiest when we're at an advantage. But we're miserable when we're disadvantaged. And we begin to compare in unhealthy ways. And by the way, there's a, there's a huge rivalry here. In Matthew 20, James and John were two of the disciples, and they were brothers. They were called the sons of thunder. Okay. Their mother came to Jesus and knelt down before him and said, I have a request of you, Lord. And the Lord said, what's your request? She said, I want my sons to sit one on your left hand and one on your right hand when you come into, the, in, into your kingdom. The disciples deeply resented it, the Bible says. So his mother came, they probably asked his father and he said, no way, I'm not doing that. And the mother said, I'll take you, come on boys. And then John refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loves. That's gotta be annoying to the other guys. <laughs> are, you, are you implying that he doesn't love us? The disciple whom Jesus loved and he was leaning on the breast of Jesus during the Last Supper. And don't you know the other disciples were going, look at mama's boy down there. You know. So, there's this huge rivalry going on between Peter and John, just this tension here, and Peter doesn't want anything bad to happen to him unless it happens to John also. And Jesus has zero tolerance for comparison. And Peter turns and says, what about that man? And Jesus says, oh, I think he may live forever. Just rubbing salt in the one. If I want him to live forever, what is that to you? What, zero tolerance for comparison. And the rumor went around that John wouldn't die, but that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said is stop comparing, Peter. It's the secret to a miserable life. 
The torment of comparison is perpetual and God's only answer is to stop. But we're all like that. I mean, we all compare to some level. And you say, well, you know, how, why do we do it? You know, how do, how do we, you know, deal with people correctly and all that? Let me say this, a positive, when you're comparing yourself positively, and there is positive comparison, it's inspirational. And you look at a person, they're a great mom. They're a great dad, they have a great marriage, you know, they have a great ministry, whatever. And you look at that person and you say, you know, they really inspire me to be a better person. You always know good comparison because it's inspirational and you can have what they have. But bad comparison is demoralizing and in many cases you can't have what they have. It's just tormenting. And so let me talk about the curse of comparison. This is, this is the problem with comparison, some of the problems. Number one, it either produces arrogance or inferiority. We compare and I'm better than you, so I become proud. Or I compare and I'm less than you, so I feel inferior. Either way, comparison causes bad things to happen. The second problem or curse of comparison is it keeps me self-focused and focused on others rather than focusing on God. When I'm constantly comparing, it just means I'm, I'm not serving God, I don't have my eyes on God, Romans eight. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And so when I'm comparing, it means I'm in the flesh. I'm constantly comparing cars, houses, watches, clothing, status. I'm always looking at things on the outside on this level, not on this level. But when I'm free from comparison, it means I'm free to serve God and I don't have to constantly you know, be equal or greater than everybody else in life. Another curse, of, this is a huge curse of comparison. On some level, it keeps me mistrustful of God and offended at him. And, you know, the, why do we compare? Because we think we got gypped. Really, you know, why did you, why did you make me like this, Lord? Why did you, why did you do this? Were you distracted? You know, did you run out of parts? Something will never be right in our relationship with God until we sincerely thank him for who we are and what we are and where we are. See, comparison, honestly, is, a, is an offense at God. You're not, you're not doing your job. You did something wrong, and I want what they have. That's what it is. It also causes me to be resentful and rejecting of others who have what I want. When you're living in comparison, many times you have a very difficult time relating to people who are better off than you are. It's easy to relate to people who are lower, but if someone is better than me, it's very difficult for me to relate to them. We had a couple in the church in Amarillo and they were in a life group and the leaders of their life group um, had a real financial blessing happen to them and they bought a new house. And this couple left the church because they said that their life group leaders were worldly because they bought a new house. And this couple that left the church constantly struggled financially. 
And the reason they left is because the life group leaders got what they wanted. See, if you resent people for having what you want, you know that you're in bondage. When people have something you want, you should bless them and congratulate them. And if you can't, it means something's wrong. Another curse of comparison is I try to be something I'm not in order to measure up and feel good about myself. Let me say this, the surest way to fail is to try to change an unchangeable. God made you in your mother's womb and he did not make a mistake. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You can't be anybody else. You, can't, you can only be you, I can only be me. I can't be somebody else. And sometimes when we're comparing, literally sometimes we're actually trying to be somebody else. And I'm gonna fail, I can't be anybody else. God made all of us unique, God made all of us the way that we are, and we can only succeed if we accept who God made us to be and do that. Another curse of comparison is it's an open door for the devil to work. This is James three. If you have bitter envy and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. Most comparisons based on envy. I envy something that you have. Envy is a feeling of discontentment or covetousness with regard to another person's advantages, success, or possessions. And by the way, the Bible says that the Pharisees delivered Jesus up to death because they were envious. The Pharisees wanted the popularity and the power of Jesus. And since they didn't have it, their answer was to kill him. Envy was the reason that Dathan Abram rebelled against Moses, that's what the Bible says. Envy is a boundary violation. Not allowing a person's sovereign space to possess and be blessed. Envy refuses to allow God to do for someone else what he hasn't done for me. Envy refuses to recognize God's sovereign right to parent as he pleases. It's crowding God and not allowing him to be the parent that he wants to be. Here's some things that we need to think about when we think about you know, comparing ourselves to other people. And the first is no one gets the whole package. You may look at another person and you see something that they have. But no one gets the whole package. So wherever, we're, wherever we are profoundly gifted, we're profoundly ungifted somewhere else. One of my friends in high school was the smartest guy in school. He was brilliant. And uh, I don't know why he ran around with me, but um, he was also the dumbest guy I ever knew. He called me one time and said, Evans, my car won't start. Come over and help me. It was out of gas. <laughs> and he was academically brilliant, but in common sense, he had none of it. None of it whatsoever. So anytime you see a person gifted here, they're not gifted over here. The, another thing that we need to think about is the greater a person's influence, the less their impact. The more your impact, the less your influence. Let me say this, a mother versus a teacher. Who has more impact on a child, a mother or a teacher? A mother. A teacher has influence, a mother has impact. Teachers obviously have impact. The greatest impact is here. When you see some, many times we want influence. We, we wanna be bigger and known by more people or whatever, but we lose our impact. When you're loving two or three or five or 10 people, you have more impact than anybody else in life. Here's another thing that I love. This is 1 Corinthians 12. God gives the most profound giftings in people and places we least expect. This is 1 Corinthians 12. In those members of the body we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And on our unpresentable parts, have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. 
But God composed the body, having given greater honor to that part which lacks it, that there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Did you know, did you know that the most profoundly gifted people are the people that we wouldn't think are profoundly gifted? Worldliness has cursed the church because the world says, if you're, if you're going to be a minister and if you're gonna change lives, you need to look like this and you need to be dynamic and you need to be charismatic and do this. Did you know that the average person has the most profound giftings in the body? Because God overlooks nobody and he wants us to respect each other and not to judge each other based on appearance or status or something like that. I'm saying, I'm saying this to some of you. Some of, some of you maybe look at yourselves as being simple or ordinary. Can, can I just tell you something? The church is built upon simple people who love Jesus. Thank God, whatever you do for a living, if God has gifted you in the body, you are needed in the body. And some of you that think of yourselves in very ordinary ways, you have a profound, everyone's gifted by God. Everyone in the church is gifted by God. So don't look at somebody else's gift. I'm saying you're profoundly gifted. Another thing, the greater the size, level, and responsibility or influence, the greater the stress. We wanna be president, we wanna have great ministry, we wanna have a great business, we wanna be a billionaire. But sometimes what you don't understand is the people that are there are very stressed out. It's, it's the, it's, it has a tremendous burden that comes with it. Here's another one, uh, another problem or consideration. Many times we're all feeling insecure at the same time and are coveting different things about each other. Five people in a room, one person wishes they had somebody else's marriage. Another person wishes they had somebody else's skin. Another person wishes they had their house, another their ministry, another their friends. We're all insecure in some areas and we all compare in different areas. But many times a group of people, everybody's comparing at the same time. This is, this is one thing that I, I think of a lot. Everybody has pain. Everybody has pain. Many times we compare and we one-dimensionalize people and objectify them. And we don't understand that everybody has pain. I had a friend that I knew in Amarillo and I worked out with him for years. We worked out at the same place and we lockered next to each other. He's about 20 years older than me. And we were, uh, we just kind of developed a friendship. I didn't know that he was filthy rich. He just owned, you know, just half the panhandle. And uh, many years later, you know, being a preacher, I'd ask him for money if I knew that. But, uh, not really. I didn't know. I didn't know him. But we just felt a great friendship, and he liked me. And so every now and then he would, uh, he would invite me to go out to eat lunch. And so we would go out to eat lunch. And so one time we ate lunch. And at the end of lunch, I said uh, to him, uh, what do you have going on this week? Okay. Again, very wealthy guy, very successful guy. He said, I'm going to find my daughter. And I said, where's your daughter? He said, well, she's on the street somewhere. He was 80 years old. We were having this lunch. He was 80 years old. And I said, why would she be on the streets? She said, she has schizophrenia. We're, he said, Jimmy, you need to be praying for my wife and me. At 80 years old, we're raising our 13-year-old grandson, and we're about to die. He said, we just, physically, we just can't do it. And he said, but I'll go to Seattle, I'll go to Los Angeles, I'll go to New York City, I'll go to Chicago. And he said, eventually, I'll find her somewhere on the streets. It's easy to drive by somebody's house or look at someone and just to think, I wish I looked like them, I wish I had their house or whatever, but you have to take their pain. Everybody has pain. Peter is an example. You wanna be the preeminent apostle? Great. So you don't be crucified upside down. You can't just take the blessing, you have to take everything that comes with it. 
causes of comparison. The first is lack of acceptance in who God made me to be. Matthew 22 says, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You have to love yourself in order to love other people. You say, well, why should I love myself? Because God made you. You're not an accident. You are, you are the creation of God and you are a miracle. You're created in the image of God. This is Brent Evans with Marriage Today, and I want to thank you for listening to the Marriage Today podcast. We believe your marriage has a 100% chance of success if you do it God's way. If you enjoyed today's teaching and want to keep learning, subscribe to the Marriage Today podcast and take some time to leave us a review. Your reviews help us spread the word and can encourage someone else in need. For more great marriage content, check out marriagetoday.com where you can see all of our marriage building resources, videos, articles, and live events.